Thank you for tuning in to episode 15 of the Keto Matrix podcast. Brittany and I seriously cannot believe how many amazing stories we hear from you guys as you reach out and tell us how we've inspired you, how you've gotten information, you feel educated, empowered. I mean, these things are absolutely incredible and from all over the globe. Thank you so much. It really does keep us going. We really, really appreciate it. This episode is amazing. It features Jillian Zolos, who shares her crazy life experience with growing up knowing that she was epileptic, then having 20 plus years of not having any type of epileptic problems to the point where she got married, was married for 15 years, had an epileptic episode, and then decided, hey, husband, I wanted to let you know, uh, yeah, I was epileptic before. She talks about how he found keto for her, helped her through that process, got her off all her meds, where she was spending at one point $1,600 a month in medication. That alone, if you have friends that are on medications or taking different vitamins and supplements, this is an episode they should listen to just so they can realize how much they can save by eating whole food and living life to the full extent. Having said that though, she also covers things like her lipedema, how her fibromyalgia pain had gone away completely, and how she has now been for several years now completely symptom-free from her epilepsy. She does also talk about therapeutic levels of keto, different than some of the nutritional aspects that people think about when it comes to what keto actually is and what it means and how it impacts her differently than most. Definitely an episode you'll want to listen to. You'll probably want to repeat, I promise. I know I say it all the time, but seriously, it's awesome. Take notes and listen, rate, review, share, tell us what you want to hear, who you want to hear, what questions you may have, and we will get those guests on this episode. This podcast is all about everyday people as well as keto experts being able to share their insight. So please let us know how we can help you. We are here for you guys. Thank you so much. Let's jump into the episode. The Keto Matrix Podcast, where myths are busted, science is explained, and the keto lifestyle is discussed by industry experts and everyday people alike. For more information and support, go to theketomatrix.com. Now, let's jump into our latest episode. All right, Jillian, how are you? I am fantastic. How are you? Oh, great. I think it's so odd. I shouldn't say odd. I should say interesting because I feel like that's more well-received from the majority, but the keto community is so tight-knit and every once in a while I get to the point where I feel like myself, my listeners, the people that follow me, the people I follow, that we all know everyone. And unfortunately or fortunately, we don't. The keto community continues to grow and a lot of times we lose track and lose sight of who's just started because everyone, and I mean this seriously, like everyone it seems to pop up every new day with, I am Keto Christina or Keto Nick or Keto whatever, and they've been doing keto for like two days. So people start looking to them as authorities and it's like, they don't even know what they're doing. Why are you watching them? Um, they, I, I'm sorry, huge pet peeve. I'm just throwing it out there. Oh, uh, and then there's others that have kind of been like, I don't want to necessarily say under the radar. You know, we were talking a little bit offline a second ago about some of the big names you were talking to and had on a, a group phone call. It's like, wow. Um, and so I'm honored that you took the time out of your busy, crazy schedule to get on the Keto Matrix podcast so the listeners could kind of get an idea of who you are, what your background is. And um, I'm just so honored and delighted that you're taking the time out. So everyone, get ready. You're going to hear some crazy, amazing information. And Jillian has already told me that nothing is off limits. So be prepared. I'm going to dig deep for Jillian Zolos and her story. Jillian, you ready? I am ready. So if you could kind of start off with um, your background, you know, what you're currently doing, how you found keto, how long you've been doing keto. I kind of alluded to the fact that it hasn't been since yesterday. But uh, if you could kind of share a little bit more on that, that'd be great. Absolutely. So um, I work in in healthcare. I work in health promotion. And uh, I've been actually most of my life has been sort of in the obstetrics field and, you know, birthday 
babies and breastfeeding has sort of been my area. But back in um, 2014, out of the blue, I started having seizures. Now, I had been diagnosed with epilepsy as a child, and I'd been on medication briefly as a child, and, and my seizures had stopped. And then they went away when I was about 18, and I, I didn't have another seizure. And quite frankly, I didn't think I was epileptic anymore Fantastic. until 2014, which was a, you know, a, a big slap in the face and a big reminder that, yeah, I'm definitely epileptic. And unfortunately, um, medication didn't work for me. I had a really, really negative, um, really negative experience with medication. And, and if your listeners want to hear that part of the story, they're welcome to look on my website and, and my, my talk from KetoCon is there and it sort of goes into it in some detail. But just keeping it high level, um, long story short, three months, 140 seizures, absolutely miserable. My life was upside down. And my darling husband, in an effort to save me, went online to a seizure support group. And there, somebody told him about a ketogenic diet. And I looked at the information and I thought, I'm going to give this a try. Um, I wasn't too thrilled when my neurologist laughed at me and said, I only work for kids. But, you know, he was still supportive. He still said I could go for it. Gotta, and my gotta love the laughter. Was, oh, I know. He, he literally laughed when I when I said that. But and I think the reason he laughed, to be fair to my neurologist, was that his expectation was it was just too hard. So adults don't do it because it's just too hard. And my family physician had never heard of it before, but she was also really supportive and said, you know, whatever you need, I'll, I'll support you in this journey. And I started on October the 23rd, 2014. And exactly two weeks later, I was seizure free. And I have been seizure free for the past four years. So wow, that's fantastic. It me yeah yeah what's the what was and the time frame but between 18 years old and 2014 i mean that's how long was that um too long yeah <laughs> <laughs> so now you're gonna make me tell you how old i am no I'm, no no that's that's top now. secret so i was 44 then and uh, so yeah from 18 to 44 years of age no seizures wow so 20 we'll just go with 20 plus years so we didn't need it to get sure. specific so 20 plus years symptom free to the point where you're like living your life loving cruising along, no yep. issues. Then three months and 140 seizures. Is that what you said? Yep. And I remember the day my husband turned to me saying, why didn't you tell me you had epilepsy? You know, we've been married for 15 years. <laughs> and I said, you know, babe, I really didn't think I did anymore. It wasn't something that, you know, was on my radar anymore. We should totally turn this into a relationship topic session. So right now, if you have, for some reason, some type of disease that you think has been dormant for 20 years, maybe I talk want to about mention it to your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. But at the same time, wow. So I, I could only imagine how did you feel? I mean, three months and a hundred. That's that's just obviously it's life and change, life changing, life impacting. But I mean, how scary was that? It was so terrifying on so many levels. I'll tell you, because I live out in the boonies. I live out in the rural area. So we have no public transportation where I am. So I had no more vehicle. I could no longer go into work. Work was extremely flexible for me and they allowed me to do a lot of work from home. But I was also in denial. You know, my my uh, HR people were saying, Jill, you should really take some time off. You know, this is why you have paid vacation and paid leave is so that you can take time. But I was honestly too frightened to do that. I just... I wasn't willing to acknowledge the the level of um, of issue that this was creating in my life. So I refused to do that. And I still work from home having, you know, 8, 10, 12 seizures a day. And it was difficult. And I did have to cut back on my hours. But the worst part of it, honestly, was the side effects of the medication. And this is something I think a lot of people really don't understand, is that for some, and I'm definitely in this in this group, 
For some, the side effects of the medication are 10 times worse than having that many seizures. I told my husband right before I started that diet that I would rather die in my sleep then continue on this medication for another single day. Wow. And what were you taking if you don't mind? Well, I, I, I am a pretty happy-go-lucky kind of gal, I'll tell you. I, I don't really suffer from anxiety or depression or anything like that, but I was quite literally suicidal. And I've never had those feelings before. I have, I have never been an angry person. And the side effects of the medication that I were on, or that I was on, excuse me, um, were rage and depression and suicidal ideation. And I had it all. And it really, it upsets me greatly that in our current situation, um, anyone diagnosed with epilepsy, the really the way it usually goes is they try one medication first. And if that doesn't work, they'll try a second medication. And if that doesn't work, then and only then is, you know, surgery or potentially a dietary therapy introduced as an option. But for me, I would have given anything if they just would have offered me a dietary intervention first and not put me through those three months of hell that I was in while I was on that medication. So, so the 140 seizures, that was while they're medicating you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And each time I upped the medication, the seizures got worse and they got stronger and they got more frequent. And in fact, they changed um, in the type of seizure that they were. And and that's also one of the side effects, oddly enough, of some anti-epileptic medications are additional seizures. So for me, I had made the decision. That's it. I'm done. I'm coming off. I had told my neurologist I was going to titrate off this medication. And he was saying to me, we'll do that over a period of weeks. And then we're going to introduce a new medication, the one that I was on when I was a teenager. And I knew that if that happened, my career would be over. It would be done. I, I would have to apply for disability and I would no longer be able to function uh, in my career because the impact on memory that this particular drug has is so significant. I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to function at the level I function at. Wow. That's a lot to digest. Okay. So if you don't mind, what were the medications? Because I'm sure there's listeners out there that are epileptic. I know I have a couple epileptic, mm-hmm. epileptic clients that um, when they, you know, they've shared similar atrocities and mm-hmm. Um, I'd love for them to be able to say, oh, my goodness, I'm not the only one. Oh, they'll, they'll know they're not the only one. It's, it's a common common complaint from all of us. Uh, Keppra was the first uh, first drug I was on, and I was up to the maximum dose of Keppra, which is 3,000 milligrams a day. Wow. And, um, it, you know, along with that also comes exhaustion and just generally feeling terrible. And some people do adjust to it fairly well, and the side effects do ease up for them. But for others... You know, that's not the case. And I certainly fell into that uh, that group. And the second drug um, was Tegretol, otherwise known as carbamazepine. And that was the one I had been on when I was a teenager and had really impacted my my ability to learn. So I had wanted to actually do medicine. I'd wanted to be a doctor. And um, funny, because all my neighbors still call me Dr. Jill, because when they get sick or ill, I'm the first person they call. But uh, I, I couldn't do it because I just did not have the memorization capacity required to get the grades required to get into pre-med. And I, it was because I was on Tegretol from 14 till 18. And it was doing that, that was why I decided to go off medication on my own at the age of 18, because I went to university and I was really struggling and I just, you know, it was too important to me. I wanted to pass, so I stopped taking the drugs. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's, um, I want to backtrack just a little bit and talk about some other things, high altitude. So I can't get over the fact that 
your neurologist laughed at you. And the reason I can't get over it is because for, for way too often, uh, and I spent several years in healthcare on the pharma side um, as a pharmaceutical sales guy, and in looking at and encouraging, um, recognizing certain disease states. And the first thing is always like, throw some medicine at it. Because if you throw this drug at it, it's yeah. going to solve the problem, right? Like just patch it up that way. That's what you should do. And I think it's, it's far too common, right? I mean, what is your thought process, not just epileptically, but healthcare in general, about the fact that we will take and look at, identify a disease state or a situation and then just uh, create some kind of drug cocktail to keep throwing at it to see, you know, to see, because we still don't know, right? We're going to throw drugs at it and then see how the, the patient responds. You know, I don't even think most of the diagnoses are around a disease state. I think most of the drugs thrown at people are entirely to manage symptoms. And I'll tell you from personal experience, um, getting epilepsy was probably one of the best things that could have possibly happened to my health. Because the year that this happened to me, 44 years old, perimenopausal, I weighed 270 pounds. I had tried every diet created ever. You name it, I've done it. I've done cabbage soup. I've done starvation diets. I've done 800 calories and nothing worked. And if somebody had come to me and said, hey, Jill, I have this great new diet and it's going to cause you to lose 80 or 90 pounds, no problem. I would have shown them the door because I didn't buy it. I had tried everything already. But guess what? When I went on a ketogenic diet, I lost 90 pounds. The 90 pounds I'd struggled for 22 years to get rid of came off, no problem. A little late, you know, it took me a little longer than it might take others because A, I was perimenopausal, and B, I have a condition called lipedema, which we can talk about in a second too. But it's a rare adipose disease that is very, very difficult to mobilize, you know, the fat from, uh, from yep. those areas. So not only did I lose the 90 pounds, I was on medication for fibromyalgia and the pain that I was in prevented me from sleeping. So I was taking painkillers and sleeping pills and I was on antibiotics two to four times a year. I actually, just because I presented at a conference a couple of years ago, I went and asked my doctor, how many, how many medications were, was I on and how many times did I go on antibiotics in the four years before I started keto? And the answer was a minimum of twice a year on antibiotics and I was on $1,600 a month worth of medication, which in Canada I get paid for. But if I'd been in the States, I would have had to pay for out of pocket. Yeah, no kidding. Four years since I started keto, I have not been on antibiotics once. Not once. I'm no longer taking any medication for pain or for sleep or for arthritis or for fibromyalgia or for epilepsy. So my drug bill has essentially been zero. Um, occasionally, I'll have the occasional scotch now and then, and I consider that my medication. So, you know, <laughs> you know very occasional. Definitely therapeutic, right? Well, and because I have to maintain therapeutic levels of ketones, I can't and I cannot indulge in alcohol. And quite frankly, an ounce and a half of scotch is more than I can handle. I'm asleep on the couch 10 minutes later. We're going to we're definitely going to have to jump into that because I don't I don't drink and I haven't drank for years. But uh, I get that question all the time where I'm like, oh, my goodness, I want to drink. I can't drink. And I'm like, no, I would rather you have a cake slice than have alcohol. Like, I, seriously. So um, well, we, we definitely I want to dive into that. Um, but so. 18 years old, 14 to 18, you're going through what you're going through. How did your diet change before keto? I mean, how were you eating? Obviously at 270 pounds, you weren't eating keto and you were probably enjoying food like much of us. Um, 
I, I tell everyone I'm still a fat kid at heart, no, no matter what. But I mean, how did you, how did your diet look there? And then how drastic was it when, when your husband came to you, which rockstar husband, by the way, for taking the time out to do that research yeah. and, and push you, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, but what were you eating? What kind of things did you have to overcome psychologically and trying to look at the change and shift? You know what? This might come as a surprise to you, but it's not going to come as a surprise to some of your listeners. My diet was awesome. I, I had basically been living on a Weight Watchers diet for the last hey, three Count the okay? points. So, yeah, yeah. That's what I've been doing. So no garbage, very little sugar, never drank pop of any kind, very, very little in the way of artificial sweeteners. Never ate, you know, donuts or cake or even pasta. Not at all. It was fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, fresh protein, but probably not enough of, of the protein. And certainly um, there was, you know, the occasional rice and the occasional pasta. Uh, there was bread in my life, absolutely. And, and you know, the healthy bagels with cream cheese and salmon. Um, yeah, there's all of that. But, you know, when my husband and I joined Weight Watchers, he dropped 40 pounds and got back to his, you know, 20 year old weight. And I dropped uh, five pounds. And then guess what? The next 52 weeks of going to Weight Watchers didn't lose a damn thing. That's really, really frustrating. So, you know, that's what I mean. I've been there, done that, had every single diet there is. And so um, that was the big thing that that really shocked me about keto, because when I went into this uh, and my husband, you know, he's, he's not in health. My husband is a stonemason. You know, he oh, was wow. just okay. he was just very devastated that I was suffering so much. And, and he's also a major introvert. So creating a Facebook actual, you know, profile and getting out there was a big step for him. And he really is a rock star for sure. I was going to say his, his cool points are just going up. They're increasing oh, yeah. exponentially yeah. with I, everything I, you're saying. So lucked in. There's no question. I'm, I'm a lucky girl. Fantastic. But, uh, you know, with, when it, when it comes to, to or comes to diet, I wasn't a big drinker. You know, I'd have a glass of wine once or twice a week, maybe, um, maybe not even. And I, I didn't have a lot. I was actually at a calorie deficit a lot of the time. And I was active. I was dragon boating. I was, you know, doing things that, that I enjoyed. But I was just suffering because um, I, I was eating the wrong food for me. I was absolutely pre-diabetic, even though it had not been brought to my attention by my physician. When I started pulling in all my records and looked at my blood work, I was quite clearly, you know, I had an HbA1c of 6.2. So I was pre-diabetic. And so this reversed all of that. My HbA1c went down to 4.5 within four months. Man, congratulations. That's absolutely awesome. I love hearing how different people arrive to the same spot, which is blown away. <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness, how? Okay, so your husband goes on this form. He finds out about eating keto. And then you're like, all right, how did you start? Did you start net carbs, total carbs? Did you know, like, how did that look? You know, I was I was really, truly blessed um, because this was before there was a lot of information out there, actually. You know, this this is still the early days of the the upsweep of the keto curve in, in the, you know, um, in the blogosphere and in the, uh, you know, in the, the social media sphere. So there wasn't as much as there is now, which in some respects was good because I didn't get overwhelmed and I didn't get super confused early. So what I did was um, I immediately looked for the research because that's how my mind works and I work in healthcare. So I looked for the research and I found 
Eric Kossoff at uh, Johns Hopkins University was doing the primary research on ketogenic diets and children. Um, but he was the guy, right? He was the guru. And okay. so I called him and he, bless his heart, spoke to me for an hour on the phone. And I will forever be grateful for, <laughs> for that hour that he spent with me on the phone because he put me in touch with the Charlie Foundation which is an amazing organization. And any of your listeners who know anyone with epilepsy, they really need to be connected with the Charlie Charlie Foundation. And, and they also put me in touch with Matthew's Friends. And those two organizations had resources on how to do a ketogenic diet. And I'm talking about a therapeutic, traditional ketogenic diet. So it's important when we talk about these things that we actually are all thinking about the same thing. A lot of people think keto, yay, I can eat under 50 grams of net carbs a day. No, that is let's, not. A- let's define those things. So yeah. let's define let's therapeutic, right? Because you've said that now twice, even with the scotch and maintaining a therapeutic level of ketones. So let's right. let's dive into the definitions um, so that everyone is on the same page, one versus the other. Awesome. So for most people who are looking at keto and most of the p- folks out there in the, you know, in the social media world, they're really talking about therapy or um, nutritional ketosis, about getting the benefits of being in a state of ketosis for periods of time, whether that's a few hours a day or every day for a few days a week or every week for a few weeks a month or, you know, every month for a few months a year, but maybe not all the time. And therapeutic range means a blood ketone measurement of between 0.5 and usually about 1.5. And and there are a lot of great benefits that can come from that, including losing weight for a lot of people. But some people require lower carbohydrates than others in order to get into therapeutic ketosis. And by therapeutic ketosis, I mean a ketogenic range that allows you to meet your therapeutic goals. So if that goal is to reverse your type 2 diabetes, then for someone who's very metabolically damaged, you may have to eat under 20 total grams of carbs a day in order to actually have the therapeutic um, you know, effect that you're looking for. Other people who maybe are just kind of borderline and maybe their metabolism is a little better, maybe they're a little younger and they're getting onto this a little faster, they might be able to get away with 30 or 40 total grams a day and still meet their therapeutic goals. But for people with epilepsy, generally speaking, their levels, their blood levels need to be significantly higher than that nutritional um, range. So for me, for example, I do best above 1.5 millimolar of beta-hydroxybutyrate as tested first thing in the morning with a blood stick, either with a keto mojo or um, a precision you know, neo or a precision um, extra monitor. So that's what I mean when I talk about therapeutic levels and different different issues require different levels. So fighting brain cancer requires very high levels and different epileptics are going to require different levels. You got to figure it out for yourself. Okay. I love that. And then I also want to explain expound upon what you just said therapeutic wise so you mentioned epilepsy and that's one thing you mentioned brain cancer that's another thing but you also mentioned if you were like a type 2 diabetic so i want to and please correct me if i'm wrong throw a huge blanket over if you were trying to heal your body you want to seek therapy because i feel like too often we're looking at 
again, I say band-aids on gunshot wounds because that's just obviously not going to work. Right. But so many people are looking at and taking this whole nutritional ketosis thing and saying, hey, well, as long as you're in nutritional ketosis, grand things are going to happen. And I'm like, no, no, like that's that's not it. You absolutely have to get to a therapeutic level and then be in that range until you are healed from whatever that may be. And it could be psychological. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be epilepsy. It could be type two diabetes. It could be type one diabetes and trying to manage uh, your insulin levels being a little bit more sensitive to the, your glucose intake and where you're at on those things. It could be a myriad of things. But the consistent aspect is healing requires therapy and total carbs is what you should count. I don't Yay, know. Baby. Oh, I God. do not know why <laughs> I, I say this in a video and I say it on my consultations. I don't know why people think it's OK if you eat ice cream and follow it and chase it with a glass of Metamucil that everything works out well. It's just silly. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. Like everything should be put in its proper place. I don't want to preach in this choir because I'm trying to get better at shutting up and allowing my guests to talk. But please stop just stop counting net carbs I, I i it drives me nuts um i feel like i'm about to rage myself so i'm going to uh, dial that back but i'm so well, glad that I'll, you said that i'll add there a little something that might help you dial your rage back um so there's you know what I, i'm a believer in helping people achieve better health and there are groups of people who will only buy in to a low carbohydrate high healthy fat way of living if they can figure it out with net carbs. And frankly, there are some people who can do really, really, really well with that. Awesome, that's great. As long as you are tracking those metrics, you know what your blood work is saying, you know what your DEXA scan or, or whatever method you are, are, are checking on your lean mass and your fat mass is saying, absolutely, no problem. There are loads of people out there who can eat 100 grams of carbs a day, net total, whatever, and they will do better than they are right now eating 400 grams of carbs a day. So in perspective, net is fine if that's what they need to get on. But as you have pointed out very eloquently, therapy responds or is, is, is talking about managing a real genuine problem. So if you have a health issue, you need to find your own individual sweet spot. And that is most, for most people, you're only going to do that if you're actually counting total carbs, not net, because there's just too much fudging that can happen if you're counting net. True story. The other thing I think you just brought up that I want to throw out there um, is that if you are looking at fixing a problem, you can't gauge how well you're fixing that problem just based on losing some weight because guess what you could be so metabolically damaged that not going or going from 400 to 500 to 600 to god knows where some people are eating carbs every day to 100 total or net is a lot better but that doesn't necessarily mean you're putting your body in a position to heal from the damage you've caused and that i think is the thing you know some of these groups that i've been in people are like oh well i follow net carbs and i've lost 30 pounds well fantastic i'm glad you lost 30 pounds but have you healed the metabolic syndrome disaster that you have where's your adrenal fatigue do you know have you looked at where your numbers have changed those these are some of the things that yeah weight loss is a great indicator to something but just because you've started along a journey doesn't mean that there's not additional steps that can be taken to improve your health not mm -hmm. just change numbers on a scale so fantastic and, you know, I always tell people when they're asking me, is this keto? My first response is, 
is it real food? <laughs> That's the first question. And then <laughs> the second thing is, is it good for you? Because if the answer to either of those questions is no, then whether it's keto or not is irrelevant. And I think that's, you know, I get a lot of, is it keto, is it keto? And and really, that's that's the wrong question. We're asking the wrong thing. And I don't know if you're familiar with them. Dr. Robert Sivas, he's a bariatric surgeon out of um, Florida, I believe. He works a lot with pediatric patients. And he's had a couple of really good uh, talks. He was talking at Low Carb USA. I saw him there. And he's done a couple of uh, online seminars as well. Awesome. And he has a really great little um really great little comment that I'm going to put up there for you guys too. And he says, if you smoked a pack of cigarettes, do you think that you could get rid of the damage of doing that by going for a 5k run? And the answer is a big fat no. So what makes you think that if you down an entire container of whatever halo top, you know, cause that's low carb. Um, do you think that you're going to get rid of the damage that happens by going for a 5k run? No. And the reason for that is that sugar damages your endothelial lining when it goes into you. So you might be able to, quote unquote, burn off the calories, but you can't undo the damage if you are constantly taking that in. So I think we've gotten into this because we've had this whole calories in, calories out thing burnt into us for so many years. We think we can outrun our forks and we can't. Because it is not just about the calories, it's about the damage that the carb calories are causing our whole entire system. Oh, I lost you. I can't hear you now. Can oh, you hear me you now? Are. Yeah, I, can I, hear you. I had to I had to mute my microphone for a second because you made me laugh so hard that I didn't want that to be on the recording. That's just me being honest. <laughs> so the listeners are like, I really enjoy these talks so much so you have no idea. But um, my question to you is this, because I really am trying to ask questions and do a better job of shutting up. But what would you say for that person that then dictates where they are and what they eat based on being in a state of ketosis, like just the nutritional state, not even therapeutic, nutritional state of ketosis and using that to dictate what they can eat. So for instance, I don't know, I'm Johnny and I ate a Snickers bar before I went to the gym because I didn't get kicked out of ketosis. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. So Johnny, you're probably pretty metabolically healthy and awesome for you. But here's the thing. We are designed to be dual fuel burners. So I believe that we should be dual fuel burners. Unfortunately, there are so many metabolically damaged people out there that a lot of us can't be dual fuel anymore. If we're going to get our health back, that's why we stay in a state of ketosis, whether it's nutritional or therapeutic. So when I'm talking to large groups of people, I say, no, I don't think you should be in ketosis 365. I just don't. Fundamentally, if you are metabolically healthy, you should aim to eat a healthy, you know, quote unquote, balanced diet. Don't be afraid of saturated fat. Don't be outrageous with your carbohydrate intake, but plan to be in ketosis while you're fasting overnight. Don't eat six meals a day. Cut it back to two or three, you know, and and every couple of weeks do a longer fast and maybe a couple of times a year do a much extended fast or get into ketosis and stay into ketosis for a month or two. For people who are fundamentally metabolically healthy, I think that's probably a pretty good way to go about it because that's how we were designed. But for those people who have 
push their systems to a place where we can no longer burn glucose without massive amounts of damage happening just because our insulin levels are all so crazy high. Those people may need to be in ketosis and eat much lower carb for the rest of their lives. And for me as an epileptic, well, I don't know about that. Lots of people say that once you've been on a ketogenic diet for between two and three years, often you can wean off a ketogenic diet and not have seizures. I personally find when my ketone levels come down into that lower end of my happy range, my brain doesn't feel happy and I'm four years in. So I don't anticipate coming off this way of eating ever because I'm just not willing to go back to that nightmare I was living before I started. True story. I like that. And that's so I think that that's a a huge point. Um, I do feel like a lot of people get set in these categories of you need to be one way or the other. Um, The flip side of that is what are your thoughts on those people that really suffer from food addiction? I mean, to the point where if they had even a scoop of Halo Top, they all of a sudden had the Mm -hmm. pint because they couldn't they couldn't stop themselves. That's the elephant in the room <laughs> right there. That's the, that's the elephant in the room there. We have a major food addiction problem in, in North America and I mean all over Europe as well, but North America in particular. And I don't think we, we really have wrapped our head around just how bad it is. And even for those people who are really successful on a ketogenic diet and can, and can you know, maintain that and not do the slippery slope thing, even those people quite often will, will say that it's because they have control over their food that allows it to be successful. And they can still, you know, they can still sort of meet the need for that sugar addiction through stevia and through erythritol and through, you know, the artificial sweeteners that are quote unquote keto friendly. Um, and, and that's not addressing the problem, which is the fact that our brains are really addicted to that sweet taste. And stepping away from all artificial sweetener is incredibly difficult to do. And when you talk about a diet that's hard to comply to, that's when it becomes really hard to comply to because most people aren't even acknowledging the fact that they're super addicted. And I know for me, I have a few of those slippery slope foods and one of them is peanut butter. If I have a jar of peanut butter in the house, you can guarantee I'm on the couch in front of Netflix and <laughs> just go to town. But that stuff has a lot of sugar in it. And it, it does throw me not out because I haven't been out a single day in four years, but it drops my ketones to a place where I start freaking out and need to take exogenous ketones just to bring my ketone level up and not have a seizure. But uh, I prefer not to do that. I like my own endogenous ketones way better. And, um, you know, I like the side effects of actually creating them way better. Okay. So, oh man, we just opened up another door. We're going to have to walk through. So first thing is when you get to that point where you recognize that, what do you tell, what are your suggestions to those people that are looking at the erythritols and stevias and all the other sweeteners that are out there in order to replace their addiction with another addiction. It's I look at it like the alcoholic that says, all right, I'm not going to drink beer anymore. And they decide they're going to swallow Listerine or, or take shots, whatever. It's, it's, it's still the same, same addiction hasn't changed. Um, you've just put a different name on it. So what, what's your advice and what's your input and insight on that? That's tricky because, again, I, I want to encourage people to move, move toward healthier eating in general. So one of the slides I have in the talks that I give is, you know, if your diet looked like this before and I show, you know, pizza and beer and, and croissant and, and lots of, you know, bagels and stuff, 
it shouldn't like look like this after. And then I show all the same food that's been ketofied, quote unquote, you know? So that's what we're aiming for here. We're aiming for cleaning up your entire diet. But that said, there's no way I could have done this and been as successful as I was without cheesecake. I'm going to be honest. It's true. My husband made the best cheesecake and the best strudel ever. And and those were my go-tos. And in the beginning, yeah, I would have one keto treat a day. And within a few months, it was one keto treat a week. And a few months after that, it was once a month. And a few months after that, it was like five, six times a year, I would indulge in a keto treat. And now when I bite into like, you know, a blueberry, it's mind-blowingly sweet to me. If I were to try and eat like a piece of anything that I would have eaten in the past that was quote unquote sweet, I, I would probably have my head fall off because it, my palate has just changed so much in the last four years. So in terms of people moving towards a healthier diet, if you need artificial sweeteners uh, to, to help you through that, that's fine. But there's a big but there. It has to be in your mind somewhere that you're going to move away from that because it's it's not healthy and quite frankly we don't have a lot of data on what stevia is doing to us a lot of people think you know that's the holy grail of sweeteners i'm not convinced and um i do occasionally use erythritol but very occasionally and i've tried to just get it out of my diet as much as i can knowing that when i'm pmsing i want sugar i totally do so then I'll have a couple of strawberries. That's that's kind of my fallback as I go to like real fruit for looking for sugars. If um, you know, if I'm if I'm really having um, a craving. sweet craving, yeah. But for me, again, it can be no more than about five grams of carbohydrate. So I try and take it in with like a little piece of um, strawberry or something. Okay, love it. And that's you know I I mentioned this briefly on the keto savages podcast when i mentioned i had someone sent me information on stevia and its impact on hormones mm-hmm. and uh, you know i've looked back and forth there's a lot of research that says it's absolutely horrible there's a lot of research that says it's not and my biggest thing is if i don't need it and i'm not really sure why utilize it anyway i get it if it's you know once or twice a year you have something but i would much rather fall back on honey or actual raw sugar then mm-hmm. i would put something in my body that may or may not have a negative impact on my hormones like well, why so and i think I'm, that's I'm with really you that. good for the folks who are out there who are fundamentally metabolically healthy and they're just trying to you know drop their carbs down so that they, they get the benefits of you know some some periods of nutritional ketosis absolutely and that's more like a paleo kind of angle too you know, you can have slightly fewer carbs, but if you're going to do sweet, do real sweet, you know, from nature sweet. Agreed. So my next, my next kind of thought process on all of this is, so you've, you've four years is a long time. You haven't gone out. You've, you've stayed at these therapeutic levels. What have, what have you felt from those around you? Obviously things have gotten a lot more popular now, so I think it's easy, easier for people to digest, but you know, when you were making this transition, you had to fall back on your health. But what did you say to people when you're like, hey, you know, this is the, the change I've made. Accept it. Because I feel like that a lot of times is the thing that's hard for people to, to wrap their mind around as well. Well, um, again, I had such an amazingly supportive husband that made that transition really easy for me. And 
to be, you know, he cooked for me for that first year and a half. He cooked every meal that I ate. He was the one cooking. And, and I, was I wish I had sick. an applause button. What's your husband's name, by the way? <laughs> my husband is Andrew. Andrew, if we could just if I if I could, which I can't because my editing is not at that level. If I could just throw in applause like they do on like radio shows, I would totally yeah. do this right now. Andrew, fantastic. Oh, I, 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 I pat him on the back all the time, but um, he, he did. He was the one who learned the skills. He was the one who who got really good at keto baking and, you know, doing some of those transitional foods for me. And um now I, I pretty much do it all myself. And frankly, we eat keto here because my husband had non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And and he completely reversed that in two months of keto. And his family has a history of type 2 diabetes. And even though he's a really fit guy, his mom has it, his grandfather has it, and, and he is at high risk for it. So we feel like he dodged a bullet too as a result of this. So within our family, um, the kids weren't too keen, I'll tell you. <laughs> they weren't too keen. But, I mean, we only had healthy food in the house anyway. We never had junk or pop or any of that in our house. But um, they still ate carbs, but they just ate a lot fewer of them. And whenever they wanted junk, I said, just eat it out of the house. I'm, I'm not going to force you to do this, but you're going to learn by default because this is a big part of our life now. And, and they were supportive because they were watching their mom go from a place that was really hard to – a place that was a whole lot happier. And in terms of, you know, work and environment, um, modifying is easy. It's not as hard as everybody makes it out to be. You even, don't say. Yeah, and I mean, he, even um, at work, for example, we would always have breakfasts, uh, breakfast meetings, and everyone would always bring, you know, the cupcakes and the donuts and all that kind of stuff. And, and I said to them, look, this is kind of hard for me because normally I might have one of those poppy seed muffins, but I'm not going to have that because I'm trying to do this. So could we at least expand a little and have some fresh fruit and some cheese and maybe some rolled up ham? And, you know, that's that's what they did. We started eating like that. And now we don't have any of that garbage at our meetings. We only have, you know, cheese and, and sometimes some deli meat or something like that. But for the most part, uh, it's all really healthy snacks. Now we don't have anything junky. Where did you find the courage to have that conversation? I mean, I know you're 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 like myself. We're more extroverted. And so I, I have no problem speaking up and saying that. But I know specifically I have clients that are like, how? Like they're they're not going to. And, you know, where where did you find that to just to be able to open your mouth and say, hey, guys, can we make an adjustment? I think um, it was because what I, it's what I needed. And, and again, I, I'm an extrovert, so I can come out and say it. And, you know, when everyone's giving presents at Christmas, I say, please don't give me chocolate. Or if you do, make it 90 percent because that's the only chocolate I can eat. Um, and I, I figured out pretty quickly in the first couple of years who was paying attention and who really cared by who left Hershey's Kisses on my desk at Christmas. <laughs> because... I can't eat Hershey's Kisses. So, you know, um, we've, we've had a little discussion about that. But, you know, even um, even for those who are not as extroverted as I am, I think especially nowadays, this is so in the news. It's pretty easy to say, I need to do this for my health. Look at what's happening. And, and my colleagues saw. They watched me shrink before their eyes. And within a few months, they were coming to me saying, what are you doing? Because, you know, we want to lose weight. And I would say, you know. Here are my keto cookbook. Go to town. Yeah. Do you really want to? Because here you go. Here's the options. Okay. Something earlier on that you had mentioned that I want to touch base on, especially with the holidays um, coming right right here around the corner. Alcohol. 
Mm-hmm. Why haven't you limited that? What are your thought process on that and its impact on ketone production? Well, if you're drinking alcohol, you're going to burn that first, right? You're going to burn your glucose. You're going to burn your alcohol, then exogenous ketones. And then only then do you start burning your own fat stores. So if you have any of those three things on board first, that's what you will, your body will prioritize to burn. So if you are drinking alcohol, you are going to knock yourself at least down, if not out of ketosis. Not to mention the fact that if you've been in ketosis for a period of time, it does not take much alcohol to go straight to your head. So I would really encourage people, especially, excuse me, the holiday seasons when you guys are mixing food and merriment and alcohol, if you have been eating this way, please do not drink and then think you're going to be able to drive home because you're not. Whereas you might have been able to have three or four glasses and be fine. Now it's going to be one and you're going to be tipsy. So you really metabolize alcohol very differently once you've been in a state of ketosis for a while. Yeah, my, my thought process on drinking and driving, whether it's one glass, a half a glass, or a sip, is don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah, <laughs> that's just... Don't do it. I won't even go into that. That'd be a whole other podcast for me to talk about. Right? Like, they, they have this thought process. Oh, well, last year I was able to have a few glasses and I'm fine. No, you're not fine. And you think you're fine, but you're not fine. So if you're planning to drink at all, then please don't drive at all. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and that, for anyone that's listening, that's not in ketosis. That's standard. It stays the same. Uh, so you heard it here first. <laughs> don't drink and drive. I don't care what it is. Um, but moving along past that. So you you gave kind of like a priority. So why is it that? Why, why does the body do that? Why do we start looking at exogenous and alcohol and fat before we get to, you know, our endogenous production and utilization? Because it wants to use what's in your bloodstream first. It's, it's, and it's, it's fast and it's easy. Your body's not stupid. It's going to make the easiest decision. And, and that's what's readily available. Whereas, you know, unlocking adipocytes, it just takes a, a few more steps and, and is a little bit of a slower process in spite of it actually being quite efficient one. Okay. Love it. So I was leading us somewhere with all of this. So you had mentioned earlier about the benefits that you receive from your endogenous levels of ketones that you wouldn't necessarily uh, achieve with exogenous sources, because I do know that, you know, we had talked about this again, a little offline before we jumped on. I feel like there's so many companies popping up with the keto craze, you know, People want to make a buck, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of walk through and talk through, especially for you at a therapeutic level and others that you've seen where real therapy is required. Some of the advantages to truly allowing your body endogenously to create what's necessary and run versus, you know, taking in some ketones. So that's a really good question. And and I'll tell everybody, I'm not an expert in exogenous ketones, pretty good around the endogenous, but less so on the exogenous. That said, I will tell you that there is a place out there for exogenous ketones. And those are the ones that you do not make yourself. However, when I'm talking therapeutically, we're really talking about ketone esters, which are not readily available on the market, not ketone salts, which are Ketone salts, of course, are beta-hydroxybutyrate tied to salts, and, and they can be really effective if you're an endurance athlete. They can be really effective as, uh, as a rescue if you accidentally ingest carbs and you're an epileptic like me, and you need to suddenly get your ketone levels up because you think you're on the verge of an aura. Or <laughs> I see you holding up your, <laughs> your E48, um, but... 
you know, the, the thing that people are missing is that, first of all, when you make them endogenously, you don't just make one, you make three. And second of all, it is the process of creating those ketones that have a lot of mystery behind it still. We're not 100% sure why eating a ketogenic diet and creating high levels of ketones stops seizures. We have some pretty good ideas of why that is, but nobody actually knows for certain. So it's not just the ketones themselves, it is the production of the ketones that has a lot of the benefits. So by drinking ketones, if you're taking those in thinking you are going to burn fat, I challenge anyone out there to send me one peer-reviewed article that shows that drinking exogenous ketones helps you lose weight. It doesn't. What they do do is stall your hunger, absolutely. But if you're taking in exogenous ketones, you are not making your own, which means you are not burning your own fat to make your own. And that's usually what people want to do when they're trying to lose weight. So, you know, using it for that, I, I don't see that as being um, a good use of your money. But if you had Parkinson's disease, then you know what? There are some, some ketones that are coming out on the market now that are esters that may have some real promise and some interesting research around that. Same with Alzheimer's um, and some epilepsies as well. There, there are some exogenous ketone products that, uh, that can be quite helpful for epileptics who want to participate in sport. Because of course, when we do run around a lot, or in my case, lift a lot of weights, then the demand for that, that fuel goes up and whatever our ketone level is in our bloodstream will drop as that fuel is utilized. And sometimes that can leave a window where our seizure threshold gets a little too low. So using a ketone salt helps with the electrolytes during that sporting activity as well as keeping the seizure threshold a little bit higher. And certainly I've seen that happen with uh, uh, folks who have reached out to me in the past with their little ones who are running around or playing hockey or soccer a couple of games back to back and they always start having seizures after game three. <laughs> That's why, because their own exogenous ketone or endogenous ketone level it has come down because of the, the requirement for energy during that activity. So yeah, it's got a place, but is it in everybody's closet or cupboard drawer? No, I don't think so. And it's really expensive pee. <laughs> That's really what it is. So, you know, you uh, you have to think twice about whether you want to invest in that. But whether it has a therapeutic application, absolutely. And you know, Dom D'Agostino is the guy to talk to about that because you know that's that's where a lot of his research is. And um, uh, I think that you know anyone who's interested in it for a therapeutic application should certainly you know look up the research around it. For sure. Now, what is your thought process on? everything else that's coming to the market with the keto stamp on it just and and this is i put this disclaimer out totally feel free to openly share your thoughts on any and all of those things so i mean i know we talked exogenous ketones i feel it's a big buzzword but i feel like there's a ton of stuff someone had sent me something called fat water and i was like really i just oh man what so feel free to go go crazy on that how's that I am of the mind that if your goal is to be healthy, then your goal should be to eat real food. And if you're eating keto food that is still highly processed, that's not real food. So there are times when it can be great. You know, you were talking to, to Robert Sykes the other day, Keto Savage. I love his brick. I think it's awesome. 
and I have a couple of them in my shelf. But do I eat them every day? No. You know, would I take them camping? Absolutely. It would certainly help me with my storage. Would I take them when I go on long trips through the airport? Absolutely. They're fantastic. But, you know, most of it, quite honestly, is just more highly processed stuff. So, you know, there are some great products that are coming out. And if keto means that that people will actually make products that are good, then that would be fantastic. I'd be happy to see that. But, you know, there are already good keto products on the market it's called almonds. You know, <laughs> go and just buy like a bag of almonds. You'd have, to put, you'd have to put a name on that, though. They'd have to be called like keto almonds. Keto almonds. Yeah, and exactly. then everybody would be like, oh, my goodness, they're great. And again, a lot of the keto product that I see is 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 keto crappy food. It's it's, you know, stuff that leads into that addiction issue again and the stuff that we quote unquote miss when we're eating real food like you know more cookies more cake more ice cream we need less cookies and cake and ice cream and yeah every once in a while it's nice and if you're really not capable of cooking for yourself then sure having a box around might not be a problem but i'm worried that when people order a box they're going to eat the whole box and then order another box and i don't think that that's going to be good for people's long-term health especially because there's so much um, nut-based, you know, um, product out there. Of course, everybody's using almond flour to make, you know, their their keto cookies and keto cakes. And there's a lot of omega six in that, and a lot of a lot of potential inflammation. And people get really upset and roll their eyes at me when I say you should be eating two or three ounces of nuts a week, and that's it. And if you measure out how much almond flour went into your fathead pizza dough or your, you know, your your cheesecake base. You know, that adds up. Let's talk about it. Okay, so yeah. my co-host, who is in Australia right now, I said, hey, you're going to give me the liberty to geek out because she is an amazing friend. She's part of the family, and she does a lot to kind of dial back my geek mode. But she's not here right now, so we're going to geek out. So with that said, let's talk ratios omega-6 to omega-3 because I feel like a lot of times it is overlooked and people don't recognize, like, hey – yeah, fat is good. All fat is not created equal, even though we all think that it is. And there are some things that have different impacts greater than others. So can you unpack omega-6 and its impact? Well, again, I'm not the expert, but what I can say is, you know, it's wait, wait, wait. absolutely let me, let's, let's put a full disclaimer out. Neither one of us are experts, right? We can only go based on the information that we had, the research that we've received, the application that we've applied to our life and those that we have interacted with, and then taking that information. And we are sharing that knowledge and insight with those listening. So technically, absolutely. we're not experts. And I will never consider myself an expert because I'm always looking to learn. So that's the only disclaimer that anyone else is going to get for the rest of this show. Uh, continue. <laughs> awesome. So generally... Generally speaking, um, in, a, in a Western diet, we get way too much omega-6 and not nearly enough omega-3. And so, you know, there are a lot of different, um, a lot of discussion out there sort of seeing what the optimal ratio is. Lots of people say it's what, one to three, one to four. Some people say it's one to one. And in if you're eating a ton of what they call dirty keto, so you're eating a lot of, you know, McDonald's burgers and all that kind of stuff, you're getting a lot of not very healthy fat at all, along with those burgers. But the stuff that they're frying everything in is really gross and really bad for you. So um, I think 
bringing down the inflammatory, the inflammation that comes with high levels of, of omega-6 is really important. And I think that's one of the, the big reasons why so many people on a ketogenic diet talk about having their pain relieved. All kinds of pain, fibro pain, weight pain, joint pain, um, migraine pain. And I think a lot of that is to do with reducing the systemic inflammation by just naturally reducing that omega-6 number and bringing it into a better ratio. So, you know, we tend to eat more fish when we're eating this way. We tend to actually look for the fatty cuts of fish that are high in omega-3s. And yet we're eating, you know, nuts, high in omega-6s, but we're not eating a ton of nuts. And that's why the people who are not thriving on keto might want to really look at what it is they are ingesting and are they actually ending up with a lot of polyunsaturated fats from you know um, food that they're eating in the community or that is highly uh, you know that's highly refined instead of actually making it at home and making sure that they're using you know appropriate oils to cook with. Agreed, agreed. Not only the oils, but you know like flaxseed and other things that are out there that I feel people you know in having their net carbs calculated is thrown into these foods to help bring the total carbs down um or i should say the net carb number down and they don't recognize the impact of those things i hate the terms of lazy keto dirty keto like i i'm so much on the the mindset that you're either going to do keto or you're not like i just i I don't know why the gray is out there. So the next thing that I kind of want to dive into, because you have been doing keto four years, which is fantastic, and have been in ketosis for this entire time, the state of ketosis therapeutically. What is your thought process on people being able to look at information and realize or delve into whether it's accurate information, whether it's not accurate information, and how to accurately apply that to what they are looking to do for themselves? Wow, that is such a question. And, you know, the bottom line is most of us don't and most of us can't. It's actually really difficult to learn how to read research and tease out what is what is really good research and what is potentially very biased research. And so my message to most people is find a few really credible keto gurus out there who, you know, who are really working to better their community and not just trying to make a buck out of it all the time. You know, a lot of the doctors that are out there are really, really good. And, you know, Eric Westman, great example. Um, you know, he, he's, he works at Duke University and that he's, he wants to help people. Same with Stephen Penny and Jeff Bullock. You know, their, their research and the stuff that they pull out is, is really credible. So I would encourage people if you're if you're already not good at research and you're you know it's something that's just one step too far, just find a couple of the most credible keto gurus in the community and read what they're reading. Follow their Twitter, the Noakes Foundation, for example, really really great great you know uh, Twitter Twitter handle and read that stuff because they're the ones who are the scientists and they've vetted it already and they'll know whether or not you know it's it's. Uh, really good science and then if you're really really curious read it yourself and read it yourself next to a university article that shows you how to actually read the journal article and decipher for yourself whether it is good science or not and recognize that everybody has biases i have biases you have biases we are all biased and 
some of us are capable of admitting that and are also capable of saying that we are passionate about learning. I am a lifelong learner. I will just, I will have to drive that home. And in doing so, I have to get that I may change my tune from time to time. As the research presents itself, I may have to change how I feel about things. You know, that's why when Stevia came out, I didn't jump right on the Stevia bandwagon because I didn't feel there was enough research to really, you know, to really make me feel super comfortable about putting it in everything. But that's where I think, you know, with sweeteners, you shouldn't be putting it in everything. If you're eating it like a little tiny bit every now and then, it's probably not going to be a big deal. But if if you have a sugar addiction and you're eating stevia every single day, then address your sugar addiction. I love it. I love it. No, that was absolutely <laughs> perfect. That was great. So my next thing would be, you know, we, we've talked about therapeutic. We've talked about nutritional, total carbs, net carbs, you know, the ability to recognize where you're at in the position. You know, and one of the things you had said before we started recording was keto is not for everybody. You know, there are certain people that look for quick fixes and this isn't it. There are certain people that just want to drop some weight. And I, I constantly tell people, like, if you just want to lose a few pounds, you don't need to eat keto to do that. There are some definite, definite other solutions and options. So what does that look like in your eyes? Who is keto for? Who is it not for? Well, I think keto is for probably the majority of people. And I say that loosely. But there are definitely those, you know, there, there are going to be a group of people who really should not be doing this diet. And, you know, one of them, for example, would be um, certain types of abdominal cancer. You know, we talk about keto as being great for cancer, but it isn't actually great for all cancer. So, you know, you, you really want to have a clinician who knows what they're talking about if they're going to be suggesting keto for specific types of cancers. Uh, people who are on blood pressure medication and blood sugar medication if you're going to do keto to try and reverse your type 2 diabetes please do it under the guidance of medical practitioner because within 48 hours of starting this way of eating you will likely have to have your medications adjusted so i i you know i'm thrilled that this is working for so many people and you know the Verta health data that's out there is incredible on on reversing type 2 diabetes but do it with medical supervision because you know there are significant bad things that can happen if you are currently taking medication and your blood sugar drops fairly suddenly once you start dropping the carbs uh, carnitine deficiency beta oxidization defects um, all kinds of things kidney disease um, major major gastric bypass that may require some medical assistance you can drop your carbs but you may have to um, you know, just be really well supervised when you're doing that if you've had a gastric bypass. And I know a couple of um, my clients have had gastric bypass and are quite successful once they, they gain the weight back because a lot of people don't realize that after a gastric bypass, that is one of the things that can happen is you can actually gain quite a bit of weight back. So they wanted to drop carbs, but once you've had that surgery, you have to do it very carefully in order to actually have an, a, an appropriate nutrition from a really well-formulated ketogenic diet. Um, but, you know, the kidney disease and gallbladder disease definitely need to be very, very well supervised by, you know, somebody who knows what they're talking about. And um, the questionable ones, you know, you were mentioning earlier, uh, type 1 diabetics. Lots of physicians would say, oh, no, no, type 1 diabetic shouldn't do keto. But 
there are a lot of type 1 diabetics who are being really, really successful at low requirements by managing their diet ketogenically. And, uh, you know, there are great Facebook groups out there. The Type 1 Grit group is fantastic for, you know, for um, information around that. Eating? Again, questions around pregnancy and breastfeeding. Again, it depends on the individual. It depends on, on what their metabolic health is to start with. And, you know, um, all of these things really need to be discussed with a primary care provider. But lots of people are in keto for their pregnancy and therefore manage to avoid gestational diabetes and complications of, um, you know, of being diabetic during pregnancy. So, you know, I, I like to tell people that when I'm talking to them, if if the person you're getting keto information from can't give you at least three or four people who should not do keto, then you're probably not getting information from the right person. Fantastic. Now, what would you say for that person that says, okay, I, I've done some research, I've looked into, I really want to do keto, but when I go to my physician, they laugh at me or tell me, no, this is not what you should do. What should they do then next? Especially here in the States, because man, it's, it's getting better, but it's still too far and few between. Well, I'm a really big believer in opening dialogue and I'm a big believer in, in being respectful and, and coming from a position where you respect your caregiver enough to assume that they're an intelligent human being. And intelligent human beings usually respond well, A, to politeness, and B, to science. And these are people with scientific backgrounds. So if you have a particular condition, epilepsy, let's just take it because that's what I have, and you go to your physician with the most current data or a couple of journal articles and say, look, here it is. It's in the literature. I want to do this. Will you please support me? You're much more likely to get a go-ahead or a buy-in than if you just say, I'm doing it with or without you and, you know, stomp your foot and be angry because nobody likes a petulant, you know, petulant response. But Fair enough. That's one of the reasons why on my website, I have actually got a bunch of those types of articles listed by, you know, by therapeutic application that people can just download, print and take to their physician. And, and you know, this is just high level stuff, but it's stuff that would that would at least open a discussion and stuff that the physician is not going to be able to argue with because it's good science in peer reviewed, really good journals. All right. Devil's advocate. I print out these journals, the research. My physician says, listen, I'm the physician. You're the patient. Get over yourself. This is not happening. I can't recommend this. Mm. What's next? I think at that point you can say I'm the patient. You're the physician. And, you know, I, I this is my health and I really need to do this. So either you're going to fire me as your patient and I'm going to find someone who will support me or I'm going to ask you to buy in with me for three months run some blood work and if you're not happy with what you see we can have a different discussion but let's at least give it a try don't turn your back on me just give it a try but speak their language say look run the labs right now then i'm going to do it run them again in three months if something is not to your liking we can discuss it at that point and nine times out of ten lab work three months after starting keto is pretty damn sexy lab work this is true. This is true. Okay. So having said all that, I, we've, we've come full circle. My question to you is you, you maintain a high level of therapeutic ketones within your system. How do you eat? What does your eating look like? What are you, are you tracking your macros? What are your macros like? Oh yeah. I track everything. I'm a total data junkie. And 
And I think that uh, for people who are trying to do this therapeutically, that's extremely helpful is to, to really be committed to the tracking. Not everybody needs to track. Not everybody needs to take their beta hydroxybutyrate every day, but I do. And, and because I have, I've been able to fine tune my diet to be able to, you know, make sure that I stay healthy. So um, I actually, I'm, I'm going to back up and tell you about a little experiment that I've done because um, I normally eat about 30 grams of total carbs a day. I can go a little higher than that if I'm eating a couple of really big salads, but most of the time it's about 30 grams. Um, and with that, I can stay in my semi-happy zone, somewhere between 0.8 and 1.5 or 2.5 um, uh, beta-hydroxybutyrate millimolars, you know, every morning when I, when I test. But in the last month, um, I have done a little bit of a carnivore experiment when I, where I basically just ate ribeye and lard for 30 days. And it was awesome. I had some really great results. Um, but what was interesting was that in the few weeks leading up to that experiment, I had noticed that there were periods of time, there were days that I was asking myself, you know, does my brain feel well? And usually if I'm asking the question, then it's not feeling good. So uh, no seizures, no auras, but just questioning. And as I went to sleep, I'd have more of that kind of myoclonic jerking, you know, that we, we all get right before you go to sleep. Okay. Well, when I started keto, this, this carnivore uh, month, my ketones went up to 6.2 in the morning. So my average was about five. Wait, hold <laughs> on. Insanely high. Uh, yeah. Wait, backtrack. 0.8 to 1.5, 2.5-ish. Yep. To over six. Yep. Ribeyes and lard. Ribeyes and lard and 20 hours of fasting a day. So not calorie restricted, still eating, still eating, you know, 1400 or so calories a day, 14 to 16, depending on how I felt, 80% um, fat and all of that fat either coming from my meat or an additional, uh, you know, additional lard. And what I found was not once in that 30 days did my brain feel off. I felt fantastic for the whole thing. And even though, you know, my weight has actually plateaued. Um, for the last couple of years, I'm, I'm like 10, 15 pounds away from where I would ideally like to be, but I have this lipedema fat, so it's all on my thighs and it's really difficult to mobilize. We're going to, we're going to talk about Danny that next, Vega. by the way. <laughs> well, I, I joke with Danny Vega that I have a 27 inch waist and 27 inch thighs and his thighs are 27 inches, <laughs> but his thighs are all, all muscle and mine are not all muscle. There's some in there, but it's just not all muscle. So I wanted to see if I could mobilize the fat on my thighs with this really, really, really low, um, low insulin way of eating. And I'm not going to give away all the, um, the exciting outcomes because Dave Feldman and I are going to present this. And so I, I just want to, I want to keep some of that before, before I'm hoping he's going to be presenting it when he next talks, but, uh, yeah, no, no problem. That's, a, that's awesome. Exciting. Very cool. So I just, I mean, man, so when you started the ribeye and lard and 80%, how does that compare to where you typically are ratio wise to your fat and protein and, and how did that look? So I do best if my fat is above 80% and, and with, I, you know, a lot of people only do percentages. So carb percent, um, fat percent, protein percent. 
I am very, very clear that for therapeutic ketosis, you need to do this in grams. So my grams of carbohydrates were 30 grams prior to this experiment and were under five grams per day for the 30 days that I was on the experiment. And in terms of percentage of fat, about 80% for the vast majority of the time I was uh, in that 30 days. And before that, it would be usually around 75%, 70, 75%. Okay, and what um, does that I, look like for your amount wise? Because I'm, I'm, I do percentages based on how I feel. Okay, cool. Yeah, That's about, what about 130 grams of fat and about um, uh, 70 grams of protein. Very cool. That's so fascinating. I can't wait until um, David presents that or when you guys present that. That's going to be yeah. fantastic. I love that. And I mean, I did steak timber where I only eat steak every day. And there's just <laughs> steak is so amazing. It's just so good. <laughs> I can't. I mean, How it did really you is. Feel at the end of that month, though, were you looking forward to eating some green stuff at the end of that month? No, I actually haven't had a vegetable in over a year. Um, wow. Yeah, I want to say it's been a year and a half, maybe a year and nine months. It's been a while. Um, so no, I don't, and I don't miss, I really don't miss vegetables. I love vegetables. They don't love me the same way. But um, I can't, you know, carnivore for me is one of those things where sometimes I'm more strict than others. The month of September, it was literally like, I, I didn't do avocado oil. I didn't do any kind of like ranch dressings or anything like that. It was literally just steak um, and bacon grease, um, the occasional butter. But I didn't do any you know, avocado oils or other things that I typically would do and still consider it like semi carnivore. Um, and I felt great. I mean, September was absolutely a fantastic month. Um, I wasn't at that point in time testing my blood glucose and ketone numbers mm -hmm. um, as much as I, I do now. So I wish I would have just based on <laughs> wondering where I'd be as far as like the five and six, like those numbers are crazy. Um, yeah. I just, I, I'm, I'm, that's just blowing my mind. That's why I was like, I was so curious as to what your intake was like to, to have ketone numbers that high. And now I'm sitting here thinking, why? Like, why did your ketones jump that high? Because That's my crazy. blood sugar was on the floor. So my blood sugar hit 30, 35. So wow. I, and I had a continuous glucose monitor implanted. I still do actually. And in fact, I think everybody should. I think that this is the next wave of managing your own health is having a continuous glucose monitor implanted. And, and so I could, see exactly what my blood sugar was and when i would wake up in the morning it would be uh three two three point four that's my canadian um version no, so for you guys it's i okay. think that's in the neighborhood of about 65 ish uh, so very very low and so when that was very very low my ketones were very very high and uh and so that's probably why and for you, if you were eating a lot of protein, then you probably, you know, you probably wouldn't have had a blood sugar quite that low. No, oh, and I mean, I had, uh, I had no issues. Man, that's fantastic. And yes, yeah, so for those listening, trying to figure out the difference, pretty much everywhere else in the world, they take blood sugar via millimolars um, here in the United States, because, you know, who wants the metric system or anything? Um, <laughs> you know, we do milligrams per deciliter, but for anyone trying to do those calculations or listening to other podcasts or wherever else, multiply or divide by 18. So if you have a millimolar number and you want to multiply by 18, that'll give you a, a pretty close range for milligrams to deciliters. And if you have milligrams per deciliter and you want to convert it to millimolars, divide by 18, you have that information. So now people can say, okay, cool. Um, 
Yes. And I was eating a ton of protein. So that's, you know, one of the things now, even now I'm doing this um, mass matrix mass builder experiment where I'm only I'm still only eating carnivore um, and I'm absolutely one and a half per one and a half grams of lean protein per lean pound of body mass, which is a lot of protein um, and thirty seven hundred calories or so, which calories don't really matter, but just based on numbers and my blood sugar is still pretty stable. A lot of it will change based on obviously how late I ate and then how much sleep I got. But mm-hmm. I will, when I start dialing things back and, and start the, the cutting phase of this whole thing, be interested to see just how well I can manage my insulin response when I can fast more. Because right now, in order to take in one and a half grams with my fat still over 300 grams every day, it's just, oh man. It's, it's hard. It that, really that is would be really hard. And that's one of the things I did find challenging at the end of my month. There were days that I just really wished I didn't have to eat. And and I wasn't eating a lot. I was only eating like 14, 1600 calories. That's not that much. But um, I really I, I could easily skipped a couple of meals and not missed it. But I couldn't because I was doing an experiment. So I had to be, you know, I had to be consistent from day to day. But I can't. I can't underscore enough the importance of tracking and the importance of having your own data and getting your own blood results. And if, if anyone out there is not already signed up for Heads Up Health, I think they should be because it's a fantastic platform to pull all of this data together and, and share it with your physician and share it with the, you know your healthcare providers. Are you familiar with Heads Up Health? I am familiar with it. I haven't actually utilized it, but um, I know there's a few people that have mentioned it. I know you have, um, Sean Baker has, there's a few people that are like, hey, check it out, utilize it. Um, I think I want to say Robert Sykes had used it for something as well before he was doing something. Yeah. So yeah. I really, really should get into it um, because, it, I mean, it is a great place just for not only for sharing it with your physician, but for having the information all put in one place. Uh, I'm still very old school in writing everything down on my trusty notebook every every morning <laughs> and throughout the day. The greatest thing about Heads Up Health, though, is that you can actually track metrics against each other. So you can track your weight loss against your ketones or your glucose ketone index, and you can marry in your aura ring data and all of that stuff so that you can actually pick out one specific variable and say, you know, what did my blood sugar look like um, when I was having seizures or when I wasn't having seizures? And and that's that's a really cool feature that to my knowledge, nobody else has. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. Have to do it. You mentioned the aura ring and this is now the third time that I've heard about it this week. And I've looked at it briefly. It was too expensive when I looked at it last, but do you wear the aura ring and what are your thoughts on it? I'm hoping that aura will send me a ring because I can't afford one myself. Um, so, Hey, aura, you're out there. I'm just, just putting it out there that I would send love two. Aura send two. I am a total data geek for sure. Um, I, I really think it's got valuable metrics for a lot of people. Not everyone is going to need that, but, um, I mean, there's, there's just there's a lot of value in in um, in understanding the the concept of HRV and and uh, in knowing when you're you know you're recovered enough to up your training if that's you know if that's what you're doing. But from my perspective, you know the sleep piece is really really important and stress levels and circadian rhythms. And I have a teenage girl at home, so my stress level is through the roof right at the moment. <laughs> Let's talk about cortisol. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's. Um, absolutely awesome. And so, yeah, shout out to Aura Rings. I would love one. Send one to Jillian. Send one to every one of the <laughs> listeners with a discount. That'd be fantastic, too. But um, I wanted to talk about and touch base on the lipidemia. 
how does that impacted you? How did you kind of get the idea and realize that you had that issue and what are you doing to manage it? So um, I would encourage all your listeners to look it up. And it's it's really, really interesting once you look it up because you'll say, oh, my God, that's me. Or, oh, my God, I know somebody who looks like that. And uh, lipedema is a rare adipose disease characterized by, um, you know, bilateral. So always the same on both legs. But it's a, a strange um, deposition of fat that is very abnormal because it tends to be just below the waist, usually in hips and thighs. Sometimes it can be right down to the ankles, but the feet are spared. And often many other parts of the upper body are spared. So women are like major mermaid bodies. And, and that's me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a mermaid body. Um, but it's very, very difficult to mobilize. And a lot of the time it, it comes hand in hand with being very estrogen dominant. So, you know, we are the breeders of the world. We are the mother of all creation. Because if we weren't able to store fat like this uh, and, and not release it easily, right? Because that's really the marker. I will look like I'm a size zero from my waist up before anything leaves off my thighs because this is where, you know, biology has decided to store it so that I can continue to be, you know, um, uh, fertile and procreate. Although just letting everyone know that's not happening anymore because I'm all done now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm past the procreation and just into the fun now. So that's good. Um, and as a result, though, that that lipedema fat is extremely difficult to mobilize and it's sick fat as well. There's a lot of inflammation there. Um, it causes a great deal of pain. There's a lot of bruising that takes place to that tissue and much more so than anywhere else on the body. And unfortunately at the moment, the, the clinical evidence out there is suggesting that it is chronic and progressive and there is nothing we can do about it. It is not curable. Um, that said, I don't buy it. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, that's pretty much exactly what they said about type 2 diabetes. And we now know that that's not true, that you can, for, for, for many people, reverse uh, type 2 diabetes as long as they stay low carb. And a lot of women with lipedema have found great success on a ketogenic diet. It hasn't necessarily taken all of the lipedema fat away, but it has been the one thing that has helped with the pain, with swelling, and with um, with some removal of that fat. So yeah, it's hard to mobilize for sure, but keto is the thing that does it the best so far. Awesome. That is some great insight. So women, check that out. I will have links and kind of do some research on that and throw them in there so people can uh, source that out. That's great because there's a fabulous um, resource, lipedema.org, uh, and I can I can send you all of that um, just an aside and you can cut this out. But um, I'm actually writing a hypothesis paper with a group of women down in the U.S. who are extremely knowledgeable and we're submitting it to the Journal of Hypothesis. So that is going to be really exciting when that no, comes out. No cutting that out. That's absolutely awesome. <laughs> These are things people need to hear. I don't I mean, no way. That's, yeah, it's that's absolutely we're fantastic. Very excited, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, to getting that actually published. I think that's you, me. So cool. you have a timeline for that? Obviously, when it comes to submitting those uh, kind of things, hoping, it takes a I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to be discussing with them next week that I'd really like it to be out by before Low Carb Denver, but I don't know because, I mean, we're going to submit it and who knows how long it'll take for the journal to okay it. Fantastic. Low Carb Denver in March? Yes. 
Okay. Oh, that's, that's just so fantastic. Jillian, you've been such a wealth of information. I just, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out. We're definitely going to have to get you back on as we kind of progress. And I am super, super stoked to see this information that you and Dave Feldman uh, put out. Like Dave, David's got to be someone I have to get on here because he also has a wealth of things. I, I love his discussion on uh, lean, lean body mass hyper yeah, responders. I think yeah, yeah. Hyper, I'm like, am I saying that right? Yeah, lean. Yeah, like he's just got such great information that I think um, people really need to lean on. On so. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate everyone that sacrifices the time to research, not only for themselves, but then sharing this information with everyone else is just, it's so important. We all can live such a better life if we took the time to lean in on our health and then share what we have learned with other people. And so I really, I I appreciate you. I appreciate everyone taking the time out to do those things. And, you know, I just, I'm going to take all the information that you have, put it out there. Hopefully Aura hears this and says, okay, cool. We're, we're going to send Jillian a ring because um, that will be fantastic. I'd feel great. Um, where can people find and follow you? They can follow me on Instagram at keto.4for.life. That's sort of my personal account. And then I also have keto all day, every day. Uh, on Instagram as well as ketoalldayeveryday.com. That's my website. And my website, I like to tell people, is it's in its toddler phase. So it's, it's still a little rebellious, but it's it's getting there. Um, and I, it, it's a work in progress. I do have a full-time job and a family, and it's really hard because I'm not a techie. So I'm trying to update it pretty regularly and uh, and make the content stuff that's really valuable for people. But definitely check out the resources there because there's there's a lot of that. Absolutely. And I will have links to all of those things in the show notes so that people can find you. Thank you so much again for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Um, I wish you the best of luck with anything. And as always, if you need absolutely anything, please do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your interest. Oh, man, the, the honor is mine. Thank you so much. The Keto Matrix Podcast, where myths are busted, science is explained, and the keto lifestyle is discussed by industry experts and everyday people alike. For more information and support, go to theketomatrix.com.